Welcome to the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Vu, and I will be serving as your Femme Tour, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into graduate school. For the past 10 years, I've been helping undergraduate students get into top graduate programs in their field, and I'm really excited to share this information with you too. Happy Sunday, everyone. Sunday of a three-day weekend. I hope that you're doing whatever it is you need to do to recharge and find some joy um, or do something that's joyful. Today, I am going to be talking about self-care and stress management in academia. This episode is for you if you are an undergrad if you are in graduate school, if you are an early career academic and you're finding yourself completely swamped, overwhelmed, burned out, anxious, depressed, and not sure what to do about it, you're feeling stuck, but you know that you need to do something to get better. I'm talking about this right now because these are feelings and experiences that I've had time and time again. I think I kind of go in and out um, of waves of depression and anxiety, feeling overwhelmed, feeling, um, feeling like I'm doing too much. And thankfully, I've been able to gather the resources uh, support systems necessary to get better, you know, and to just live a more joyful, more grounded life. And so that's why I want to share that with you because I'm I've been feeling so good that I I want others to to feel that way too. I want others to not let this you know get the best of them because this is only one part of your life, whether it's getting an education or this is your career, your career is not your identity. It's, you are so much more than that. So let's talk about, let's talk about stress. Let's talk about self-care and what we can do about it. All right. So I'm going to start, where, where do I want to start? That's the thing about these podcast episodes is that I, I've been trying to like speak off the cuff a little bit more because Otherwise, I'll get so caught up with trying to plan the perfect episode that I won't record anything at all. And I'm a perfectionist, so if I go back and re-listen to what I've done and recorded, I won't like it, and then I'll just delete it and not post anything. In fact, I was tempted to not post anything today because I'm not feeling 100%. Last week, um, I wasn't feeling that great. I had a short episode because... Of my autoimmune symptoms, they were, you know, coming back. I wasn't feeling good, so I did a short episode and called it a day. And today, I'm getting over a cold that has kind of spread in our household. First, my husband got it, and then my son, and now me. But you know what? I'm not going to let it hold me back. So, stress. What are some ways to to de-stress? Like, I think the first thing is kind of realizing how stress manifests in your body and and then acknowledging it acknowledging that your stress is like number 1 for me stress hits me in my tummy 
And so I, I start to get stomach aches. I start to get cramping. Um, it also sometimes manifests in my head. I'll get headaches or my shoulders. I'll get and back. I'll get like upper um, shoulder kind of back pain. Um, so find out how does stress manifest in your body? Do you start to get anxious? And if so, what does that feel like? For me, it feels like I'm out of breath. Sometimes it actually turns into heart palpitations. Sometimes it turns into a full-blown panic attack where I feel like I'm having a heart attack where like I'm about to die and I'm not. And thankfully I know what it is. I still, you know, my whole body starts to shake. Thankfully, I've only had one panic attack in the last few years. And it was actually recently. It was We were driving back home from the valley to Santa Barbara. It was really, really heavy rain. The heaviest rain that we had had ever, I guess, like while driving. And the car kept skidding. And I kept thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this is how it's going to end. This is how it's going to end. This is it. And I just kept quiet because the whole family was in the car. I didn't want to freak anybody out, but I could sense myself shaking all over. And I just focused on my breathing, focused on my affirmations. Just kept telling myself like, we're safe. We're okay. You know, we're, we're almost home and we made it home, but it was not a good feeling. So what does stress look like, feel like for you? Acknowledge it. And then from there, what can you do about it? So for me, the big thing is if there, if you're too overwhelmed to do anything, the least that you can do is breathe. So in terms of self-care and a everyday kind of practice to help you figure out what works for you when it comes to breathing, whether it means literally just taking 10 deep breaths or finding a meditation app that you like. I actually have a meditation app that I am absolutely in love with. I've had it for years and continue to use it. In fact, I've used it so much that they gave me this free premium membership without me ever paying because, you know, I'm not about that life. I'm trying to get anything free because, you know, <laughs> even though I'm a professional before I was poor, but now I'm broke because of student loans and childcare and other bills. So anyway, this app is called Stop, Breathe, Think. I love it. It asks you to check in. It asks you how you are. And you can take a deep breath for 10 seconds. After that, you tell them how you're doing physically, how you're doing mentally, and what emotions you're experiencing. And based on those symptoms or on those um, feelings, they'll recommend a few five to 10 minute uh, guided meditations for you. And they have, it's great. They even have some for kids. They have some for youth of color. Um, so I'm a big fan of that. There are others. I know some of my friends use the Calm app. What else do they? I'm trying to see if I have any that I can pull up. There's another one called Liberate. There's Headspace. I personally use Stop, Breathe, Think. Um, it's free. They have lots of options. Um, but some of the other ones seem like they're great too. So that's one thing I want to share. Another thing when it comes to stress is sometimes you're stressing out and feeling burnt out because you're doing too much and because you're not giving yourself time off. And when it comes to that, I do want to kind of keep reiterating that you need to set boundaries and you need to give yourself some space to breathe, some space to relax, um, whether that means 
even if you have a lot of homework or a lot of work to do that is taking over your weekends, can you afford to take a Sunday off every week? Can you afford to take evenings off? Maybe you can't do evenings. Maybe it means no work after 7 or 8 p.m. Or maybe it means I'm still going to work on weekends, but not in, you know, only in the mornings from 8 to noon or only in the evenings from 6 to 9, whatever that is. But figure out a way to set strict boundaries, almost like you're setting your own internal policy of how you work and what works best for you and try to stick to that as much as possible. It also means learning to say no. I actually, I can't remember if I've talked about this in a previous episode, but even if I have, I can't stress this enough. You are going to have so many opportunities in undergrad and then in grad school and then throughout your career. So many people are going to come to you for help. And I know there's this big fear that if I don't say yes to everything and everyone, these opportunities are going to go away. They're not going to come back or I'm going to miss out on something huge. And my thing for that is how do you know whether to say yes or no to something? And I say this over and over and over again. So if I said this before, I hope I don't sound like a broken record. But it's figure out what to say yes to based on whether or not it's compensating you. And it shouldn't compensate you in one or more ways. It could mean it's like literally financially compensating you. They're paying you to do something and you you need to pay your bills. So you're going to do it. Sometimes it's compensating you in terms of professional experience that you need that would look great on your CV or on your resume. Um, And because you want that experience, you're going to do it. And um, I think one of the more important ways for something to compensate you is if it compensates you in terms of your values, in terms of what you want to do to give back, in terms of things that like make sense uh, for you. Uh, and for your community. And if this is feeding your soul and you're really looking forward to it, even if they're not compensating you perhaps financially or professionally, um, it's something you really want to do and you're looking forward to it. Um, then yeah, go ahead and say yes. But, and also sometimes multiple things will come up at the same time and they're all great. And you're going to have to prioritize and choose one or the over the other and not do too much. You know, one of the things that I know I say no to all the time, and I do still feel bad about it, and I'm working on it, but as part of my policy is to not, um, I say no to things that are evening work where I cannot bring my son. So my partner, he works evenings, and I've got, you know, I, I deal with the nighttime routine, the second shift after work every night. And so for that, I'm like, if you want me to, you know, share my expertise with your group of students and you're asking for a 6 to 8 p.m. spot and I can't bring my son, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go. I will gladly refer you to someone else who may be able to make it, but I will tell you why I can't make it, that it's because of a lack of childcare. So that way I make that visible. So that way people know that this is an issue that they should like be more mindful of scheduling things that are more uh, parent-friendly or family-friendly. But that's my own internal policy. Figure out what that is for you. Figure out what it is that you say no to and what it is you are willing to make space and say yes for. All right. So taking time off, learning to say no, all of that can help you de-stress. The other thing is, and I know I have talked about this before, 
is making to-do lists and then prioritizing. When I get really overwhelmed, and I have a bad memory, so I'm not into making mental lists. Nope, no thanks. That'll keep me up all night. I literally will either hand write a list or pull up my Kanban flow or Trello or whatever it is that you use to write down your lists. I'll write it all down. And then I ask myself, what do I absolutely need to get done today? Because it's urgent and it needs to be done by the end of the night or by tomorrow. Okay, that's what I'm going to prioritize. Okay, what do I absolutely need to get done this week? And then based on that, like, what do I have to do today, tomorrow, this week, next week? Then I move things accordingly to those slots of what needs to get done right away and what can be done later. And then I know what to prioritize and what to work on. And I feel like I can breathe because all of a sudden that list went from a dozen things that I needed to do today to maybe three or four things that I need to do today. And then the others can wait for tomorrow or the day after. Um, the other thing when it comes to stressing out is it's really good to get to know yourself and how you function. Some of us, when we stress out, we either under-function or over-function. And by that I mean if you get super stressed out and overwhelmed, is your tendency to just procrastinate and not do anything because you're freaking out about it? Or is your tendency to do too much, work, work, work? In fact, you're like procrastinate work, which is what I mean when you're doing other things aside from the thing you really need to do because you're avoiding it. Um, and then trying to find a balance of how can I, if I'm underworking, maybe face my fears and do just a little bit, maybe five minutes of the thing that scares me, 10 minutes of the thing that scares me, one Pomodoro, which means like one 25 minute session, and then I'm going to take a break and then see what happens. Because a lot of times it's much harder to get started on something and it becomes this bigger monster. And then once you actually start working on it, it's not that bad. You're like, oh, I thought this was going to take me two hours, but it only took me 45 minutes. Wow, I wish I had started this earlier. And so figuring out, am I overworking? If I'm overworking, why am I doing these other things? Why am I doing the dishes and brooming and vacuuming when I should be doing this other thing? What am I trying to avoid? And um, Or sometimes even writing about it. I know this sounds silly, but when I was dissertating, when I was writing my dissertation, and I knew I had to write every single day. And I would just dread opening my computer and my laptop to, to type. Honestly, that was the hardest thing was opening up my laptop and start typing. It didn't matter what I was typing. So then I tell myself, you know what? I am going to free write. I'm going to free write my thoughts. It may or may not be about this dissertation. It's just how I'm feeling. For the first five minutes straight, it's going to force me to open my laptop. And if I get through that, if I still don't want to write, I'm not going to write. And I'm going to be okay with it. I'm not going to shame myself or punish myself for it. And I just type for five minutes, everything that I'm feeling nonstop, as messy as it was, stream of consciousness style. And then afterwards, I felt so good typing. Well, not always, but, you know, a good portion of the time that I'd keep going and I'd be like, you know what, this is not so bad. Maybe I kind of do want to write a paragraph about this chapter. Maybe I do want to add a few more sources. And so that's what I would do. All right. So under-functioning, over-functioning, figure out what it is that you're doing and try to challenge yourself to, 
to do the opposite. So if you're under-functioning, how can you get yourself to, to work a little bit more? If you're over-functioning, how can you get yourself to work a little bit less and get less distracted and actually do whatever it is that you need to do? All right. So we're still talking about stress management and self-care. Another thing that's really critical actually for both of those, for stress management and self-care, is developing a support system. I can't say this enough. The earlier you learn to create a support system or find a support system, the better off you'll be. It doesn't matter what you're doing. I think in, in, at every stage of life, we all need support systems. For some of us, our support system is just our family or maybe our best friends. Um, but aside from that, having professional support systems. In grad school, I had a writing accountability group. And I was also part of a dissertation support group through the CAPS, through Counseling and Psychological Services and so we had a therapist who was there who would facilitate the session each week. And now what do I do? Well, I actually, on my campus at UCSB, I helped to uh, set up and organize the first mother of color support group on campus for staff members uh, and faculty members. So that includes grad students, full-time staff and faculty. And now the group has expanded. So now it's a mother of young children support group and there are multiple groups running on campus because the need is, it's, it's a big need. So that's something that I attend. I attend a support group. I also go to therapy. I also have friends who are almost like my accountability buddies. I have one friend who I check in with about my personal and professional goals. And we meet on a biweekly basis and just check in on each other. And then I have my Chicana Mother Work Collective, who if I ever need advice, I know we've got a group me. I can text them, get their advice, and I really value and respect, you know, what they say. So um, I often go to them when I have, you know, big questions that I, I don't feel comfortable asking anybody else. So support systems, accountability partners, accountability systems. I have, for instance, you know, I've got a group of, at any point, 30 to 40 students that I femtor um, that are part of the McNair program. And some of them, they're fine just coming to um, coming to seminar, maybe, maybe doing one quarterly meeting with me, and they don't need that much accountability. They're good to go. And other students, they actually, they schedule weekly or bi-weekly meetings with me. And at, during that time, we check in, like, how are you doing? Let's check in on your goals. You know, what held you back? What can you do this time to improve? And little by little, they work on more of their, you know, research and grad school preparation. And that's how, that's how they, they function better. They, they work better with more accountability. I'm, I'm actually kind of like that in the sense that I do like, I prefer more accountability over less accountability. Um, and then I'm trying to think about, cause I'm, I'm, I'm trying to share the advice that I've given others about stress management and about self-care and the self-care thing is in some ways harder for me to share because I feel like it's so, it's, it's personal and it's, um, subjective. I, I, I've talked, I'm pretty sure I've talked before about some of the things that I do. I listen to podcasts as a form of self-care. I do a little bit of yoga and stretching and meditation for self-care. I'm no like expert. Trust me. I'm not that, <laughs> um, physically fit, but I try. And so long as it helps me to feel good, 
in my body and de-stress. That's that's what I'm looking for. So figure out what that thing is for you. What something physical, ideally, whether it's walking, running, swimming, riding a bike, whatever it is that that works for you that you could do on a fairly regular basis. And then something for your mental health. Um, that could be checking in with a friend or going to therapy or joining a support group or getting involved and like checking in with a writing or accountability partner, any of those things. Self-care also means take, like I said earlier, taking time to yourself, allowing yourself to rest, um, nourishing your body, eating healthy food. I know, um, you hear this all the time, but yes, raw fruits and veggies are really, really good for you. I drink green smoothies almost every day and it's transformed my health. Um, especially because of my autoimmune symptoms, I, I can't take that for granted. So, um, figure out the things that you can realistically do to take care of yourself and to do it regularly, not just when you have time, but also when you have midterms and finals, also when you have that next publication that you have to submit, also when, you know, your tenure file is come is up or whatever it is that's coming up for you that is really stressful, makes you feel like you have absolutely zero time to do anything for yourself, what are the things that you can still do? You, sh you should have a toolkit. Develop a, a self-care toolkit. Literally, like, write a list down of the things that you can do for yourself and or have objects that remind you of it. You know, maybe create a, a literal box with things in them that remind you of what you can do to treat yourself, to take care of yourself. Um, I can't stress this enough. If you're an undergrad and you're thinking about going to graduate school, mental health is is huge in terms of a really like critical struggle that people go through and don't talk about enough. A lot of folks are de depressed and anxious. I mean, grad school is a petri dish of all of the things that you may need to develop a mental health disorder. And, um, and so that's why it's really important to, to develop this toolkit because you don't want to wait until things get really bad for you to reach out for help. You want to go to graduate school, not just barely surviving, but thriving, making the most of it. And actually, that's the conversation that I'm going to be continuing next week because I'm going to be talking about thriving as a low-income, first-generation, and underrepresented student in grad school. That's that's the next topic for next week. And it's very similar to what I'm talking about today. Um, but I'll be talking about more about some of the specific challenges of graduate school, of like the timeline. What does graduate school look like year by year? What are some of the hurdles and challenges that you go through? And how can you take care of yourself to thrive, not just barely make it, but thrive in grad school? I think with that, I'm going to be closing things off because that is all I can think about right now. And I'll keep kind of <laughs> letting these thoughts simmer about how I want to expand more on thriving in grad school specifically for next week's episode. Thanks so much for listening with me. Please, please, please um, feel free to contact me if you have any questions, 
if you have any comments, I'd be happy to, to share them on the podcast. All right. Have a good rest of your day and enjoy the long weekend. Thank you so much for joining me in the Grad School Fem Touring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else where you tune in. You can also contact me with your questions and episode topics by sending me a voice message on Anchor, sending me a message via my website at yvettemartinezvu.com, or emailing me at yvettemtz3 at gmail.com. Until next time.